I'm reading Time Magazine, and I read an article about a 29-year-old guy named Joe Biden who defeated uh, this icon. And I thought, 20, God, 29, this guy Biden, he must, must be a pretty impressive guy. After I finished reading Time, I read Newsweek. They had a, an article in Newsweek about the same guy. It was two weeks after the election. I thought, ooh, this is as long as I'm getting a message here. Welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham. And on today's episode, we're talking to U.S. Senator, former governor, former congressman for the state of Delaware, former treasurer for the state of Delaware, Tom Carper. Much like our interview with Senator Coons came hours after breaking news on Justice Stephen Breyer's retirement announcement, we interviewed Senator Carper just hours after the war in Ukraine began, uh, after Russia's invasion. So we talked a bit about that at the top of the episode, and then we talk uh, about Senator Carper's career, his, his path to Delaware, what brought him here. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Pod County. Welcome to another episode of Pod County. I'm your host, Kyle Grantham, joined today by County Executive Matt Meyer and Senator Tom Carver. Kyle, how are you doing, bud? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, tell, the, tell the audience something about you that they would never have imagined. Not, a, not your arrest record, none of that stuff. I mean, uh, not how many times you're thrown out of school, but just something about you that would be wor- wor- worth remembering, please. Uh, oh, my goodness. Go ahead. Uh, you put me on the spot. I have, no, go ahead, Kyle. I have nothing. You can make something up. Oh, Kyle, oh, Kyle Grantham. Kyle Grantham yes. is not... The it's not only the it's o- not his name, it right? is his name. Kyle is not the only American Vietnam veteran serving in the U.S. Senate right now. I'm not, but Tom Carper is. Tom Carper, and is. he's here. Tom yeah. Carper, are you a veteran? I am not. Would you like to be? I thought about it heavily, actually. This is an interesting time to be serving. Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, I did three tours in uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, my timing wasn't very good. But uh, this is a. Uh, uh, this is a. Uh, I, I, I just, I, not, it's scary, but it's really disappointing. You know, this, this didn't have to happen. This no. did not have to no, happen. It's a war of choice. And uh, the, the, uh, the idea that people are literally dying, they're innocent victims, they're men, they're women, they're families, people that are civilians, military, there's no reason it should be happening. We ought to cut this guy, like cut this guy off at the knees. And uh, with the kind of uh, coalition that our president has fostered, nurtured around the uh, world, I think we can do that, and I hope we do. The video coming out of Ukraine right now is harrowing, to say the least. It's definitely disturbing to see what Vladimir Putin has chosen to do of his own free will. Yeah. This will not end well for him. Yeah. We're going to make sure that it will not end well for him. I, I, I watched the president's press conference before uh, we started, and it seems like that sanctions package is, is fairly comprehensive and still actually leaves room to go even harder, if necessary, on Vladimir Putin himself. So I'm hopeful that he will see reason and stop what's, what's happening. What's that like, Senator Carper? You're, you're a senior senator, really a senior statesman in our country on veterans' affairs, on knowing what it's like to be a soldier in a horrendous war, knowing personally. What's that like? You're on the floor of the Senate making life and death decisions about war and peace for our country. Well, it's, um, I served in the, in the Vietnam War, a war that was premised on a... Uh, really a lie and we ended up going to war in a fiction in, in the uh, in the Gulf of Tonkin 
when Lyndon Johnson was president. So uh, I served three tours over there. There's about 58,000 names of uh, men and women I served with uh, on a wall uh, near the Lincoln Memorial. So Vietnam uh, Memorial, and uh, some of whom those are people I knew. And they, they didn't have to die either. And uh, I ended up, I was, I was, my job was Navy ROTC midshipman, got commissioned. Next week I headed for uh, Pensacola, and next year I headed for Southeast Asia, first of three tours. And it was, uh, a, hard, it was a hard war to serve in. And uh, not uh, with the people I served, with whom I served, not a lot of enthusiasm, if, if you will. We, were, was, we had to do a job. We had a job to do. We did it well. And, but right now, this is, uh, we're not, hopefully we're not going to have to get down, bogged down in a war like that. So the last thing you want to do is get bogged down in another war, especially an unpopular war. And sometimes uh, force is necessary. But in this case, I think the, the best weapons against uh, Putin are, are not going to be rockets, missiles, that's sort of aircraft, submarines. I think the best weapons are going to be economic and financial banking issues, cyber issues. I don't know about it. Almost a, a decade ago, Soviet Union was preparing to invade Georgia, the country of Georgia, not the state. You may recall. And they never fired a shot, and they just brought the, the uh, people of Georgia to their knees, their government, their economy, the banking system, uh, infrastructure. Uh, and uh, what, what we need to do is take a page out of that book and actually turn it loose on uh, Putin, and that's what we're going to do. The, the smart thing is, it's not just us. Uh, Lisa Blount Rochester, a congressman, likes to say, uh, a stick by itself, you can be breaking. But when you have a bunch of sticks bound together, they're unbreakable. And what Joe Biden, our president, has put together is a pretty darn good uh, coalition that uh, it's going to be hard to break. And we will uh, make Vladimir Putin wish he'd never done this before we're done. The uh, Russian main Russian stock market was down 45% today alone which is an incredible uh, loss of wealth in that country. And will certainly be a song by Chubby Chucker. And the part of the lyric was, how low can you go? <laughs> and this is kind of, we're going to push it down and down and down. And, and certainly uh, in Russia, you know, there's an oligarch class that will certainly apply pressure. You know, if, if Roman Abramovich is not allowed into the UK to his 152 million pound mansion, to watch his world champion soccer team play, he's certainly going to be in Vladimir Putin's ear about changing that so he can again. What we're witnessing right now is absolutely something in my lifetime I can't think I've seen. What we were watching last night, even when we were out doing the homeless count, just when it first started on social media, was unbelievable. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, it's sad. Lives are going to be lost, and there's no reason for lives to be lost. Mm -hmm. And it's because of one, one man or one group's hubris. So it's sad. Well, we're going to give them something to remember, and for the next Putin that comes along, for him to remember as well. We're talking yeah. to the most elected official in Delaware history. You're kidding. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever lost an election? Uh, I have. Student council. No, when I was in the fifth grade, I moved to, my family moved to Danville, Virginia, last capital of the Confederacy, right on the North Carolina line, my sister and I. She was in the sixth grade. I was in the fifth grade. I didn't know anybody in school. And they had an election like the first or second week uh, that I was in the fifth grade there in Danville. And uh, somehow or other, I ran for safety council. And, uh, you know, the person I was like, they, they, the kids would, if you're on the safety council, you'd like to wear uh, like something across your chest. And they had like a yeah. badge that said you're on the safety council. And uh, I don't even remember how I, I got my, my name got into the mix, but it did. And when they counted the votes at the end of the day, I won. <laughs> you won? So I'm undefeated. 
Oh, you are undefeated. <laughs> All the way back to fifth been, grade. Matt. I, I thought, did they go negative on you, saying, little Tommy Carper's dangerous. He's not going to be All safe. Right, they, and my opponents in the, in the campaign called me a Carper bagger. Carper bagger. <laughs> in the fifth grade. That is impressive. For That's good. Life. You just moved right. there. For so an 11-year-old. It didn't work. It didn't work. It didn't work. I accused him of negative politics, never to campaign, <laughs> and that helped, helped me. I just got a clean, he's a clean genius. Nice. So you had a good Facebook, Twitter strategy? I'll be about. <laughs> Social media was a bit different in it sure was. that era, for sure. Let, let the record show. I did not run for re-election, so I retired <laughs> undefeated at Coates Elementary School. Smart, smart. You followed the, the path of a number of successful Delaware politicians of not being born in Delaware and then moving to Delaware when you were young and having a lot of success. Senator Coons, Joe Biden. It's a winning strategy to be born somewhere else and then move here. So uh, did you plan to be Did you plan else? that? Did you plan that? Was it a strategy from well, day I, one? I was Navy Watch at Ohio State and studied economics and right in the heart, heart of the Vietnam War, where graduated in 68, right at the height of the war. I used to think that Delaware was a little town just north of Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and there is a town. And there is. Called yeah, Delaware, yeah. Just north I told this Columbus. story yeah. last night when we were in the car, because I went to Ohio University, when I told my friends ah, yes. that I was moving to Delaware. They're like, oh, you'll be right down the road. And I'm like, no, the state, not yeah. the town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, I, I'll never forget, I, my, our job in, in the Vietnam War was to fly low-level missions off the coast of uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. We flew like 10 and 12-hour missions, four engine aircraft, uh, Navy P-3. And uh, a lot of the time, times we would chase Russian nuclear submarines all over the world during the Cold War. So if a balloon ever went up, we could take them out. But uh, during the Vietnam War, we uh, flew, they pulled all the P-3 aircraft out of uh, Vietnam because they kept getting blown up by the Viet Cong. And they put us in uh, Utapau, Thailand, a huge B-52 base. So we were co-located with the B-52s. And we would fly uh, low-level missions off the, uh, off, uh, out of uh, Utapau, Thailand, in the South China Sea, and Haiphong Harbor, which led up to, to uh, um, Hanoi. And uh, I remember um, the, th- the best day of the, the week was the day the mail came. And uh, we get um, care package packages from our families. We get cards and letters. And I get the newspapers. I get ti- Time and Newsweek magazine even over there. It came about a week late. But I remember we, in November, my last uh, tour, uh, November of 72 over there, I remember getting my Time magazine, and I was reading through it after, the, you know, been flying that day, and we had our missions over, so I'm back in my, my, my barracks, and I'm reading Time magazine, and I read an article about a 29-year-old guy named Joe Biden who defeated uh, this icon, Cale Boggs, who'd been governor, uh, senator, congressman, and I thought, 20, God, 29, this guy Biden, he must, must be a pretty impressive guy. And then I, after I finished reading Time, I read Newsweek, they had a, an article in Newsweek about the same guy. It was two weeks after the election. I thought, ooh, this is as, as long as I'm getting a message here. And uh, I had, when I was just an incident in the Navy, we started off in Pensacola and we did our training there, then went to Corpus Christi Naval Air Station in Texas, and then California and then overseas. And uh, when we were in Corpus Christi, Texas, my best friend and I were rooming together. We ended up uh, trying, he said, why don't we go one day? He said to me, we have a four-day weekend, let's go to Baltimore. He was from Baltimore. I said, let's go to Baltimore. And I said, Sal, we don't have any money. <laughs> and he said, well, hitchhike. And I said, uh, to Baltimore? And he said, on airplanes, on airplanes. So we, flew, we caught rides with the, uh, the Navy from uh, Corpus Christi to uh, San Antonio, which is the wrong way. <laughs> and we got to San Antonio, and we uh, picked up uh, another flight going, to, uh, a flight going to Charleston, South Carolina. And in Charleston, South Carolina, Dover, Delaware. And we ended up uh, looking for the uh, 
I'll never forget, we were looking for the bus station to uh, be able to try to get a ticket or to go to Washington or Baltimore. And they, there's no bus station in Dover. And we said to the, the, the folks at base ops, well, how, how do we get to Baltimore? And he said, good luck. And, but they told us we could go stand at the front gate. The front gate, and they said at the, the main gate, people will stop. There's a place where people stop and actually pick up service members in uniform and off them a ride. Joe didn't pick you up, did he? He did not. Oh, man, that would have been a Delaware right. story. <laughs> but listen to this. You know who did? We waited 30, 45 minutes. People stopped. They're very nice. Nobody's going to Baltimore. Finally, a milk truck pulls up, a milk truck. Guy says, um, driver says, where are you guys going? He said, Baltimore. He said, me too. Come on in. <laughs> so he drove all the way to Baltimore on a milk truck. I love milk. He, 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 it was free chocolate milk. I mean, it was just, <laughs> but he wouldn't stop at make a restroom break. So it kind of seemed longer than it really was. <laughs> <laughs> but four years later, I was getting out of the Navy. I'm going to business schools on the East Coast. The same guy, Sal Serio, that I hitchhiked with to uh, Baltimore, uh, ended up, he's out of school. And, and he said, I, I was on the East Coast. He said, why don't you uh, come, come and visit me? We'll go out and have dinner. And he said, tomorrow I'm going to Wilmington, Delaware, and to see my favorite aunt. And I'll give you a ride to the University of Delaware. We're going to go right by it. He said, they have a new business school. I don't know how he knew this. They have a new business school. He dropped me off, had a great visit, fell in love. And uh, I ended up going to Europe for the summer, the rest of the summer. I'm Europe on my $5 a day book pass that I had. And when I applied to about 12 schools, one of them was Delaware, came back to the States and went to my parents where my mail had been forwarded. And I had about you know, 12 responses, some pretty good schools. And the first one I opened was Delaware. And I said, that's where I'm going. My parents said, aren't you going to open the others? I said, okay. And they put in, and I said, I, I know this is where I should go. And they got to Delaware in the MBA program. First year I was in the program, I met uh, Jim Soles running for Congress, Democrat, beloved professor, ended up being the treasurer and fundraiser. My first little year in Delaware. And within being in Delaware, like on uh, 15 months, I was in Joe Biden's house, in his living room, meeting him. And he was nice enough to share with us how he won and how we might win. Uh, we didn't win, <laughs> but we were running against Pete DuPont, one of the richest guys in the world, and actually a guy who ended up being a very, very good uh, governor. <laughs> but a few years later, you, you ran for treasurer and won. Uh, I was elected treasurer in 76 the year. Pete DuPont uh, was elected governor. I got to run because nobody wanted to run. I That's a at, good strategy. Yeah, I was at uh, Dewey Beach in a beach house with Ed Friel and a bunch of other people, and uh, it was uh, like, like the, right after Memorial Day, the weekend after Memorial Day is a beautiful day. And this is when we used to, as Democrats, we used to pick our candidates in, uh, not in uh, primaries, but in conventions. And uh, I was happened to be listening to the convention in 1976 on the radio, on my transistor radio from uh, Dewey Beach. And the, uh, the Democrats that day at Central Middle School in Dover, they nominated somebody for governor, lieutenant governor, U.S. Senate, U.S. House, auditor, blah, blah, blah. Got to state treasurer, nobody wanted to run. I turned to my girlfriend, Nancy, as the sun was setting that. sun was going down. I said, Nancy, I think I'm going to be the Democratic candidate for state treasurer, and I'm going to win. And again, it had been a hot day, and the sun was going down in the West, and she said, you've been in the sun too long. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the weirdest thing. I just knew. It's like, kind of like I knew I should go to Delaware. Can you believe that? And uh, ended up staying there. And I had job offers after business school at other places with railroads. I was interested in working on a railroad. But it just worked out magically, at least so far. But it's still early. Tell me about your time as treasurer. That's, I mean, it's a pretty interesting job. It's an interesting job to start in, right? So you're, you're basically out of grad school, 
And you're the treasurer for the entire state of Delaware. I said earlier, the reason I got to run for state treasurer was because nobody wanted to run. <laughs> and I, I was fortunate enough to win. Pete DuPont became governor. He gave his first state of the state address the following January. So it's January 77. He gives a state of the state address. I'm sitting in the legislative hall as a brand newly minted state treasurer. I'm sitting next to uh, Senator Thurman Adams. It was an, uh, a great, uh, a great, uh, great guy, beloved uh, senator, Democratic senator, conservative from uh, Bridgeville, and uh, I'm sitting next to him on the back row in the House of Representatives, and the s senators are in there, the House members are there, and people in the balcony, everything. Pete DuPont announces as a brand new governor that we're bankrupt. And, and it's the treasurer. It's the Democratic treasurer's fault. Yeah, and you suddenly realize <laughs> yeah. why no one wanted to be treasurer. He, uh, no, no. Thurman Adams reaches over, leans over to me, says, "Young Tom." He said, now you know why nobody wanted to run for treasurer. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I believe there's a, a, one of my favorite quotes from Albert Einstein, in adversity lies opportunity. Mm -hmm. In adversity lies opportunity. Six years later, we had worked our way up. I give Pete DuPont a lot of credit. And, and uh, Democrats uh, like Thurman Adams, like Lonnie George and others, we uh, had worked hard to, get a, um, to move up, get a better credit rating. And about a month, uh, two months before the, uh, the election that year, I announced to run for Congress. We had an incumbent Republican co uh, congressman named uh, Tom Evans, and the, uh, he was running for re-election, and uh, nobody wanted to run. Like, nobody wanted to run for state treasurer. Nobody wanted to run for Congress either. Uh, six years later, and I said, well, if nobody wants to run, I will run. Joe Biden was very encouraging and, uh, and helpful in, in that. And about a month before the election, State of Delaware was about to make a bond sale, sell bonds to raise money for schools, roads, highways, bridges, prisons, and for capital projects. And we went to Wall Street. The governor, Pete DuPont, our Secretary of State, our Secretary of Finance, and me were the four bond issuing officers. And we went up and we met with Moody's and Standard Poor and uh, Fitch and, and uh, pre presented a case why we thought we deserved a double-A credit rating. And they said, well, you've been getting a lot of credit rating upgrades. I don't know if we can do another one for you so soon. We said, well, think about it. Think about it. And they were very nice. Four days, five days later, Glenn Kenton called me, who was the Secretary of State, and said, uh, we just got some good news. He said, what was that, Glenn? And he said, we just heard from the rating agencies. They're rating our raising our credit rating to AA. I said, oh, God, that's great. That's wonderful. It's sort of like going from worst to first. I mean, it's not AAA, but it's very good. As a county executive, Matt knows what, what it's like to have that triple A. Yeah, and one of the only counties in the country. Yeah, that's great. But anyway, Glenn uh, went on to say, he said, uh, we think you should, you should announce it. And I said, really? And he said, we think you should announce it. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah. He said, you, the uh, governor thinks you had something to do with this. And which is very nice. I hope I did. But that says a lot about Delaware. Mm -hmm. And we ended up with a double uh, A credit rating. And then... Uh, the voters of Delaware said, we've had enough of him state for Israel. He's got to find him another job, and I got to be a congressman. Compare that. You, you've done, it's interesting, your, your career, again, as the most elected official in Delaware state history, you spend, I don't, half is probably not the right term, but you've, you've spent a, a lot of it in Delaware state government, and you spent a lot of it in Washington, representing the people of Delaware for the country. Compare that, too. What's that like? I still come home to, to Delaware almost every night. And Joe Biden used to do something like that, especially when his sons were young. And uh, I, I tell people I like to sleep on my own bed with my own wife. And one guy <laughs> said to me, well, that's a unique concept. <laughs> but I love being in Delaware, and I love the train. My most productive time uh, in terms of work, getting stuff done, making phone calls, using my computer, everything, is on my train. You don't talk too loud on the phone, do you? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. I, don't, I, do not. Sure. I do not. I do not. 
the I, used, I love the quiet car, but if I want to be on the phone, I, I can't sit there anymore. But I, uh, I used to be on the Amtrak board. Bill Clinton put me on the Amtrak board. I got to serve on the Amtrak board for four years. My grandfather was a railroader in West Virginia. I wanted to work for Amtrak when I got my MBA, but they weren't hiring. And uh, so I thrilled I got to actually be a part of the Amtrak. And I still feel like I'm part of the Amtrak team. And the, the people on the train, the conductors and, and the en engineers, and you know, they, they know that I used to be on the board and I'm like part of their family. And this one, uh, one time I'm, I'm riding the train, I was on a different train than I was ticketed for. It was like uh, the same category, Northeast Regional uh, category, but it was for like an hour difference. Amtrak board, uh, Amtrak gives members of Congress a, a card, like go in your wallet, and it says, Senator so-and-so is entitled to travel on Amtrak same day, as long as he's ticketed on the same day, going the same direction, same uh, class of service. And that ticket that he has, it, it could be used that day, only that day. Anyway, so I'm on a train. We have a new conductor, in our, uh, and he's coming through look, checking tickets. And he says, um, can I see your ticket? I gave him my ticket, and I gave him the card. And he said, what's this card? And I said, well, I explained it to him. And he said, I've never seen one of these before. And he gave it back. He said, you've got to get off at the next, uh, the next, <laughs> next stop. And I said, Who's, is the conductor on the train here? And he said, well, yeah, he's right down there. I said, anybody like to show this, show my ticket and this card? So he went over, then about 30 seconds later, the two of them came back. And the older conductor said to the young conductor, he says, if Senator Carper wants to drive the train, <laughs> <laughs> we let him. <laughs> My grandfather would have been proud of that. That's fantastic. <laughs> they did not let, for the record, they did not let me drive the train. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But I have driven some trains before with supervision, with appropriate supervision. <laughs> and not uh, freight trails, actually. That's never anything I've even considered doing. Like, I've been in a plane, like a, like a prop plane, and like, oh, here, you want to fly it? And like, that was fun. Never considered taking the controls of a train. It, it was a hoot. <laughs> it was a hoot. There's all kinds of so train songs you can sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did it let you blow the whistle <laughs> yeah. while you were oh, doing it? You bet I did. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good. My first train ride is my my sister and I were visiting our, my grandparents in Beaver, West Virginia, right outside of Beckley, a coal mining town. And we were about six, seven years old. And there, my grandparents' house fronted on a railroad track. And there was a, a little fence right between the railroad track and the house. But every morning, about 10 o'clock in the morning, the train would come through. Slow-moving freight train would come through. And my sister and I would stand up by the fence, and we would just jump up and down when the train was coming. And here comes the train one morning, and we were jumping up and down, trying to get the, uh, the engineer to pull, you know, blow the whistle. And uh, he comes, uh, and they almost always would blow the whistle. And this day, they didn't blow the whistle, but the train stopped right in front of my grandparents' house. And off the train came our grandfather. It was his train. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, the grand and he said... Come on with me. He opened up the gate and, and we went up and he put us up in the train and we just took off. <laughs> and then we, I think we went about, it seemed like we went like 500 miles. We went about 500 feet. Yeah. <laughs> and the train stopped and he let us off the train. He says, Run back to the house. Don't tell your grandmother. We ran into the house. Grandma, Grandma, you won't believe what Grandpa just did. And she said, You know he didn't. He can't. That's not legal. <laughs> Today he would go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we just had, that was my first train ride, and I've loved trains ever since. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, one of the more popular TikTok channels is devoted to train spotting and getting them to do the, the uh, ones yeah. that goes by, yeah. 
Well, my sister and I were ahead of our time. Yeah, you were. <laughs> Before TikTok. <laughs> you might have been an, a TikTok influencer in another generation, yeah. for sure. So from Congress, you came back to the state. You were you became governor. And I guess Mike Castle, you guys traded traded spots because then yeah, you went, the, to, remember, you went to Congress. Remember the, the, remember the movie Trading Places? Yeah. <laughs> that was Eddie Murray. I think it was Eddie Murray. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy and... Yeah. Uh, um, Nick Nolte. No. It uh, wasn't Nick Nolte? Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Dan yeah. Aykroyd. I think I played Eddie Murray. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, in the movie, you know, they traded places with some Wall Street guy or something. Yeah. And yeah, pretty funny movie. And uh, Ends on a train. There you go. There you go. But Mike Castle uh, had been governor. He could only be governor eight years. That's the Constitution here, you know. And uh, I'd been a, uh, a congressman for 10, and he uh, had to do something else. And so I was thinking of running for governor, and he said, well, maybe I'll just run for, uh, for Congress. He's a very good friend. He was a good, really good friend then and, and still is. I thought he was a, a great servant to the people of Delaware. And, and I think he was probably a better congressman than me, and I hope I was uh, almost as good a governor as he was. And then Senate. And you beat William Roth, who has a, a bridge and an IRA named after him. Yeah. You, um, know, you know what's been named after me so far? That's really right. My, my wife who just really makes her mad. But so far, the only thing I've been elected 14 times. She said, you've been elected 14 times statewide office. Nobody more than anybody in history. You've been our treasurer, congressman, governor, senator. Nothing's named after you. I said, that's not true, honey. What's named after you? And there's, as Matt knows, there's a combined water sewer overflow under the city of Wilmington that bears my name. Which I would argue is the most, you want that <laughs> named after you. It is the most, no one. We're going to make sure we maintain that. We will make That's sure a, we maintain it. First, it's a first in Delaware. <laughs> it's not the treatment plant, to be fair. Yeah. Oh, my, it's, my, my wife, the other day, she came up, we were driving along that, and she said, I got an idea what should be named after you. And I said, well, what, what is it? And she said, it should be the Dover Air Force Base. You've worked for 30 years to keep it open, brack-proof and everything. That would be perfect. I said, honey, that's the Air Force. I'm Navy. <laughs> it yes. probably wouldn't work. They may have some issues with that. There that's, a good, that's a good point. Tell me, so you served eight years as governor. Uh, boy, I love being governor. It's a, it's a, Why? A, a, I, whenever I talk to my Republican governor's friends across the country, I still stay in touch with the, governors, the National Governors Association. The Senate, people have different names for me, but one is recovering governor. But I talked to our Republican uh, governors who are thinking of running for the Senate, including one in neighboring state of Maryland. Years ago, he had just become governor, Hogan, just become governor. And he asked me, he said, you've been governor, you've been a U.S. senator, which did you, which did you prefer? And I said to him, uh, I, again, he'd been governor just a couple of months, and I said, my worst day as, gov my worst day as governor uh, was better than my best day as a U.S. senator. And then Governor Hogan was uh, being really encouraged to run for the U.S. Senate. This was last year as governor. And he chose not to run for the U.S. Senate. I thought back to that conversation I had with him all those years ago and wondered if he remembered that. I'm, actually, I exaggerated when I told him that. I like uh, being um, not really in charge, but sort of bear the responsibility, whether it's running a city, running a county, running a state. It's um, a, a wonderful opportunity. It's, and there... It's more we're, uh, we're more partisan uh, today than than we used to to be. We used to be uh, Delaware way, and the Democrats and Republicans work together. We still do that a lot more than most other states, but it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same as we know. It feels like we've gone through these cycles in American history of absolute rancorous partisanship. You know, in the, the early formation of the government in the Civil War era, and you literally had members of. Congress beating each other on the floor into the 50s and McCarthyism era. And really since the mid-90s, 
it started again, and it's it's gotten incredibly bad and deadlocked now. It started with Newt Gingrich. Yeah, and Newt Gingrich. Yeah, right. Changed the game. Changed the, the way the, the way we do this, and it worked. And it worked. Where is the end of this cycle? I think it ends when it proves not to be successful in getting in terms of getting people elected, whether it's the president or to be the majority in the House or the Senate. I think uh, or governorships. If it, if it works, you know, people. I like to say, find out what works. Do more of that. And unfortunately, if, if these kind of tactics actually do work politically, uh, for the, not just for one, one election or whatever, the, but if it continue to work, that's a, uh, that's, that would be very sad for our country. Uh, wh what we have to do is to show that that's not a winning uh, strategy. And, I've, and again, I've run 14 times. I don't think I've ever said anything bad about any of my opponents. When I ran against Senator Roth, I, I, the closing thing we did in the campaign was I was, a, I was sitting in front of a fireplace and uh, there's fire in the fireplace, and it's, uh, and I, I talked about him, and uh, and just said he'd been uh, a great servant to the people of Delaware. We're grateful for 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 his service, but it was just time for for basically a new generation of leadership I, that seemed to have resonated. But it was it was funny, Matt, because we I actually watched the uh, television the weekend. I didn't watch a whole lot of TV, but I watched it the, the weekend before the election that year when I was running against Senator Roth. And uh, like every uh, every commercial was p campaign. It was like Pennsylvania. It was like New Jersey, and some of those are like really nasty, and Delaware. And the thirty second commercial of me talking about Bill Roth, and, and uh, complimentary, and and respectfully, just it was just jumped off the screen. It just jumped off the screen. <laughs> and I found that you don't have to be nasty. You have you're same as I mean, same way. You have to be nasty. You don't have to be mean. People actually want us to work together, and they don't want us to get stuff done, be held accountable. Speaking of which, one thing in which there seems to be a universal agreement for decades in this country, Democrat, Republican, is infrastructure. It's something that just seems the, the far right, far left, everybody has understood for decades that we needed to invest more in infrastructure. It hadn't happened. You got it done. President Biden got it done with a lot of Republican support. Can you talk about how that happened? Oh, okay. <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> Joe Biden, when he's running for, uh, for re-election, we, we would talk from time to time. And when he got elected, I said, I said before we go to uh, you know, get sworn in, uh, I just want to share with you some advice I got from an old Methodist minister from Seaford, Reverend Reynolds, whose, whose uh, son, Bruce Reynolds, was a football coach at William Penn for many years. And was a, a legislator. Yeah. And, yeah, yes. and, and, and just a really good man. Anyway, uh, but just before I got inaugurated as governor, uh, governor uh, Reverend Reynolds said to me, he said, Governor Tom, I wasn't even governor yet, he said, Governor Tom, just, uh, just remember this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I said, would you say that again? And he said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I said, oh, I think I got it. And when Joe Biden was about to, he and Joe were about to get on there, a helicopter that day from not far from where we are today, at the National Guard headquarters. I, I shared that with, uh, with, with him. He remembered Reverend Reynolds. He remembered Bruce Reynolds and all. And uh, the, uh, a couple of times when, when he got to uh, be president and all, I was some, mentioned the main things, to keep the main thing the main thing. And, and by that time, it's pandemic. You know, we got to put it in our rear view mirror, get it done, get people vaccinated and all. But uh, he called me about uh, a week after he'd been inaugurated. He said, He's a committee that you're not chairing, Environment and Public Works Committee, which has jurisdiction over water, drinking water, climate change, you know, air pollution, road construction, roads, highways, bridges, all kinds of stuff. 
flood control. He said, uh, your committee has a well-earned reputation to be bipartisan. Doesn't matter who's the majority. They work together to get stuff done. And he said, hopefully that'll be the case with you as the new chairman. And uh, he said, I, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to recommend to me uh, a handful of senators, Democrat and Republican senators, to come over and meet with me in the White House next week. This is back in January of the first year. And he said, uh, and tell me who you think uh, ought, to, ought to come to talk about infrastructure and how we can get going. And I gave him some names. And a week later, was there Shelley Capito, Republican from West Virginia, where I was born, was, uh, was, uh, was there. And Jim Inhofe, Republican from Oklahoma, who used to be the chairman of our committee. He used to be mayor of Tulsa. He was there. He was invited. And uh, the, uh, uh, the other person, Ben Cardin, a uh, very thoughtful uh, senator from, uh, from Maryland. So the four of us were there. The president was there. We had uh, also there was the vice president, Kamala Harris. And by uh, uh, Zoom on a big TV screen was Mayor Pete, who by then was Secretary Pete, Secretary of Transportation. And uh, the president, we talked for an hour or so, and the president said, calls me Tommy. I said, here's what I, here's what I uh, want you and the group here to do, is to take up, formulate legislation on roads, highways, bridges, bipartisan legislation, and do the same thing on water, drinking water, wastewater, flood control, and report them out, I think he said, by Memorial Day. So this was a conversation we had in January. And I said, we'll go, we'll go to work on it. And my uh, senior Republican on the committee is Shelley Capito. She was born in West Virginia. Her dad used to be governor there. I'm from West Virginia, lived there for the first six years of my life. still have relatives there, a lot of them. And Shelley and I went to work on it, and we reported out within, actually, I think two or three months, legislation, bipartisan legislation, unanimously on all kinds of water infrastructure for the country. And uh, well before Memorial Day, we unanimously reported out service transportation legislation, roads, highways, bridges, and all that stuff, and had the first climate title ever, first climate title ever in a major infrastructure bill. So anyway, they took the bills to the floor, and the uh, water bill passed 89 to 2. It was pretty good. And the, uh, the fi finally, the, there are other parts of infrastructure that other committees have jurisdiction over. And they did their work. They reported out their pieces, and we put them all together in a big package. And Chuck Schumer asked me to manage the bill, and Mitch asked, Mitch McConnell asked Shelley to, to manage the bill, and we did. And we got to manage it on the floor of the biggest infrastructure bill in the history of the country, which was a huge thing, and we were thrilled to do it. But it, it was right from the get-go, had strong support from the administration. I remember when the, Donald Trump was president, he was nice enough uh, to invite me as a senior member of the Environment and Public Works Committee. During infrastructure work, he would invite me to come uh, or us to come to the White House to talk about how we're going to pass infrastructure legislation. We never did squat. And uh, so leadership's important. Leadership's important. And not everybody uh, is uh, wild or crazy about me or Joe Biden, or, or Shelley for that matter, although she's terrific. But Joe believes in working together. He yeah, did that. He always did that. It's when he was a senator. And he, and he still does. There what, we are. What do you think are we Delawareans are going to see the infrastructure bill influence their life, their commute? One, one of the things we're always interested in this, uh, in this state is jobs. And we've got several thousand people whose jobs uh, flow from the uh, uh, Port of Wilmington, which we bought when I was, uh, when I was uh, uh, governor. The state took it over from Wilmington and invested. But um, we're going to double the size of the uh, Port of Wilmington, double the employment there, and the, the work's going on now. 
up in uh, Claymont, as, as, you, as you know, they, we used to have a big steel mill there, Phoenix Steel, for many, many years, 100 years. Don't have it anymore. And it finally shut down, uh, gosh, a decade or more ago. And today, about a three or 400 acre site is being like, it's going to be reborn. People will go there in two, three years, they just won't believe it. There's ever, the steel mill will have all kinds of jobs, thousands of jobs. And one of the key components of it is a, a multimodal transit center that uh, provides for SEPTA, Amtrak, buses can go there, cars, taxis, pedestrians, and that will serve as sort of like the anchor, the, the catalyst to transform that uh, piece of, of, of land. A lot of folks were just down in Sussex County for a, a hearing yes, yesterday on uh, uh, coastal resilience and uh, an outfit called NOAA, not like NOAA and NOAA's Ark, but the National Oceanographic and uh, Atmospheric Administration put out a, a report mm, two weeks ago and they said uh, sea level rise has been about over the last close to 100 years, last century, about a foot. And it's why we're now we're now getting a fair amount of coastal flooding. And they said, and, uh, but the bad news is in the next 50 years it's going to double. And the question is, what do we do about it? And there's uh, all kinds of, uh, of support in our legislation, our infrastructure legislation, to protect coastal communities, including places like we've got in, in Delaware, from Lewis down to, to Fenwick Island and everything in between. So there's, uh, there's something there for, for all of us, and a lot of money for roads, highways, bridges, a lot of money for, uh, for railroad. Delaware, the more people, uh, uh, more Amtrak employees will live in Delaware than any state in America. And, and here in uh, Newcastle County, a lot of work to be done on drinking water, pipes being replaced. Yeah, wastewater. A lot mm -hmm. of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of problem with, uh, with that. But the opportunity to fix it. and in doing so, put people to work. And at the end of the day, we'll have a more vibrant economy because of that more productive economy. Not a lot of it is sexy, but it is so important, right? I mean, yeah, sewer every, systems. Yeah, I like to say it's possible to have cleaner air, cleaner water, better infrastructure, and uh, create jobs and create a lot of jobs. For sure. Always, for sure. always worried about jobs. I, people ask me sometimes, I don't know, when people ask me what I do when I travel, I tell them, if I don't want to get into a debate about climate change or something else, I'll just tell them, mm, I help people, I help people. And I remember this one guy said, uh, you're like a butler? <laughs> said, a little bit. Yeah, Some things bit. are like butler. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. I feel like one. But uh, I love helping people. And I know you do too, Matt, but the best way, I always say the best way you can help somebody is make sure they have a job so they can support themselves and their families and have a better life. And it's, sure. it's, it's, that's my favorite thing. For sure. Well, Senator, we are uh, getting near the end of, of your busy man. The time, the time no, that I was got. just disinterrupt my nap. I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> is there uh, is there anything else you want to add before we sign off? Uh, I um, I would uh, just say this. I I feel really fortunate to do what I do, and I've been uh, I, I, my sister and I born in this coal mining town, and uh, my parents never never uh, went to college. When um, my my dad was ended up going World War II, served and had the GI Bill, and he used the GI Bill coming back after the war. Uh, went back to Beckley, West Virginia, coal mining town, and he used the GI Bill to learn how to fix wreck cars. A lot of other people go to uh, use the GI Bill to go to college to get an associate's degree and bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD. My dad learned how to fix wreck cars, and he parlayed that eventually into becoming a claims adjuster for Nationwide Insurance. He worked hard all his life. He taught my sister and me to work hard, and my my parents uh, gave us. Um, uh, really good examples of, you know, if you work hard and you try to do what's the right thing, and if you treat other people the way you want to be treated, 
you can do some amazing things in your life. I was with my sister really blessed. My, we had good values with our parents, deep faith. And the Navy came along with uh, a chance to go to, you know, to become, a, get an education and see the world. So I've, uh, I feel like I, I owe a lot back. And I just uh, would just say from my heart to the people of Delaware who have been kind enough to give me a chance to serve them in all these different roles, how much I do, do appreciate uh, uh, that. And the, uh, the, the, not everybody in the state likes me. Every now and then someone will remind me that they don't like me <laughs> or what I do. But a lot of people are very kind and, and very supportive and, and encouraging, and I'm always grateful for that. Intolerant of the ones who are, are a future friends, <laughs> but not yet. I haven't won, won them over just yet. And I can say, Senator Carper, we have long days in what we do. And there are times I look in the mirror, I said, Tom Carper has done this through, what, 16, 17 election cycles. I can get but up who, in the morning. who's counting? I can get up in the morning tomorrow and, and take it for another day. Well, the, the, the job of county executive is in some way is, as, as you know, as and Chris Coons has said this, and I think every county executive, that is, can be a very tough and challenging job. And we thank you for doing it and doing it well. And uh, the key is always a team. I'm just surrounded by a great team <laughs> in Washington and here. And uh, I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you, Senator, for coming in. Thank you, County Executive, for joining us for another interview. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.